Welcome to the teaching ministry of C4 Church. Really glad that you're here this morning, and we want to say hello to the many of you watching online this morning. We want to especially say hello to you that are serving this morning somewhere in our church, and you're going to be listening to this podcast later. Let's give them a hand for serving this morning. We're so glad that you're doing that. And I want to personally, on behalf of the elders and the staff, thank the hundreds and hundreds of you that serve this church. We could not do this family right if you did not do that. So just thank you so much. And you watching online because you serve today, God bless you. And to you who belong to our community and you're traveling, we love you too. And the rest of you, we welcome you. If you got your Bible this morning, I'd love you to turn to the book of Acts again, virtually, physically. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8. I'll get there uh, in a few minutes, but you can get ready to go there this morning. It was a week and a half ago, I was at a late meeting uh, at this church, and it was a significant meeting, and I was uh, driving home along the lake, decompressing. It was a beautiful night, one of these beautiful fall nights we get up here in southern Ontario. It was like pitch black, the moon was full, and, and the lake was sort of still and calm. You know what I'm talking about? It was just really beautiful. And I'm driving along, and I'm decompressing from the meeting and realizing it's going to probably take another 40 minutes to do that. And as I'm driving along, I see out of the corner of my eye uh, a cop car, one of the unmarked one. And I looked, of course, as we all do, I hope you do this to make sure you weren't speeding, and I wasn't. And so I sort of went, okay, and sort of kept driving. So I kept going, and life was fine. And suddenly, to my shock, the lights came on behind me. So I, I pulled over. Now, you need to understand, I am 37 years old. I have never been pulled over in my life. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's right. So, well, that's done. You're all clapping, but it happened. So I got pulled over, and I'm, I'm not really panicking. I'm probably too exhausted from the meeting to do that. So I pull out my license, and, and a young police officer comes. I roll down my window, and as they do, they shine their light in my eyes. That's fine. That's what I'm supposed to do. And he says, uh, sir, uh, do you realize, and I'm expecting to hear that you were speeding. And he said, sir, do you realize that your lights aren't on? And I said, um, very carefully, actually, yes, they are. And he said, no, they're not. And I said, actually, they are. And then I remembered he has a gun. Shh. I went, okay. <laughs> so uh, what was interesting is he said, well, I said, look at my dash. And he said, oh. And he went to the Ford and said, oh, they are. He said, could you step out of the car? I got nervous at that point. Uh, and, he, and he said, actually, all your lights in the back are out. And I went, I, I'm sorry. He said, listen. He said, no problem. Have a great evening. I really just want to make sure that we're safe and you're safe. I don't want you to get T-boned. So I said, thanks so much. He said, have a great evening. I said, all right, thanks. And I went home. See, he thought it was going to be much more than that. It's not. I'm, I'm a boring guy. But I, I, I drove home, and here's the point. I was breaking the law and didn't know it. But beyond that, that police officer actually cared for myself and others. He didn't humiliate me. He pulled me over for a reason, because I actually could be dangerous to someone else, or I myself could get hurt. That image is what I'd like to leave with all of us, lead with this morning. My prayer out of this whole series and my prayer this morning is that God would come behind us and put on his lights and pull us over, not to humiliate us, not to get us in serious trouble, but to actually give us the whole picture. Because here's the truth. My front, the car at the front was fine and the back, it wasn't working. And I just did not know. 
We live in a busy, complicated world, and a lot of times it takes something out of the ordinary, God to break in and just to stop us for a moment and say, listen, I'm so pleased, and I'm glad you're doing well, and I'm glad that half your light's on her, but, but by the way, not everything is working the way you think it should be or is, so let's just have a conversation. My prayer this morning, C4 Church, is God pulls us over so we know the full picture of what he's up to. Week one, we began this series called Believe. It's the theme for our year, but specifically, it's this series that we're walking through. And here's what we said. We as Christians, no matter our background or theological bent, we all gather around this truth that we believe in a personable, knowable, holy, loving God who did not walk away, but is with us and interferes in our life in the right way. We believe in God. Week two, we we began to explore the idea of the good news, that we believe that the good news of Jesus is that he came and provided a way back to that very God because he, by the way, is God with flesh on, and he overcame all the barriers between us and a holy and loving God. Joanna said you can talk back today. You can talk back. That's an amen moment. We believe that once you've embraced Jesus, week three, living under his lordship is the only way to live the life that we were saved to live. We believe that the more of the lordship of Jesus we embrace, the more joy we will have as Christians, the more Holy Spirit power we will see in our life, the more holiness we will have, the more love we will experience, the more transformation we will see in ourselves, in our families, and in our church. Lordship is the key to walking an authentic Christian life. All right. We know and we believe that willing slavery to Jesus is the best and the only path to see and experience something called freedom. We live in a world that is full of bondage. And yet our God comes in and says, I have come to give you life and life in the full. And I have also come to give you eternal life. And life in this moment between conversion and eternal life is found when we willingly get okay with the lordship of Jesus. We willingly keep saying, do not relent, Lord. You come and speak to me about money, sexuality, power. You keep telling me about relationships. You keep informing me about my motives. I want never to be a barrier between you and someone else. Your lordship is welcome. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we also believe, week four, that it is not a mistake that we are placed in this church, in this region, at this time, in this nation, at this point. We believe that God in his sovereignty is choosing to bring a time where the very fabric of this area called Durham will be changed as God moves into thousands of lives. Not just a revival in our own church or churches in our community. Oh God, that, may that be so. But we believe that an awakening is coming. And that's different than an, a, a revival. An awakening was, is when on mass of non-believers connect with Jesus. A time where people will publicly start confessing Jesus, publicly confess their sin, publicly start getting rid of those things that are hollow and, and lack real life. We believe that a region changes one heart and one life at a time. But over time, as God moves into more and more lives, it will be like boiling water or a tipping point. God will move into so many lives that the fabric, the very DNA of our region, will not be the same for a season. I cannot wait to see this. But now the question is, what's next? What do we believe God is up to 
And what do we believe as Christians, and specifically here at C4, that God wants to do through you personally and us communally with the whole world? Let me take a moment to paint a picture of what the world is that we live in. I found an unbelievable website last week that's used by the UN, the BBC, the American Library Association, and others. It's a metrics website that every second is continually live-streaming facts and metrics on our world. So I paused the live stream at 3.19 and 40 second seconds, 47 seconds p.m. Eastern, uh, Eastern Standard Time, October 17, 2012. So I stopped. You can pause it. Let me tell you what the world was like at that moment that we were all living in. The current world population is over 7 billion people. This year so far to that point when I press stop, there has already been 105 million births. Mm. By that moment, there had been 231,693 births at that day by that moment where I press stop. Isn't that wild? There's already been 45 million deaths this year by the time I press stop. At that moment of that day, there had already been on that day 99,000 people had died globally. We're expecting a net population growth of 60 million people by the end of 2012-2013. When I press stop by 3 p.m. that day, $6.4 billion had been spent on public health globally by 319 that day. billion had been spent on public education that day. $2.9 billion had been spent on the military globally that day. This year, 48 million cars will be produced. 108 million bicycles will be produced. 280 million computers will be sold globally. And 1.9 million new books are going to be published. By that day, at that moment... 325 million newspapers had circulated globally. 453,000 televisions had been sold globally by that point. And everyone ready? 3.3 million cell phones were sold on that day alone. $114 million had been spent on video games that day. 2.4 billion people were online using the internet that day. 260 billion emails had been sent. That day, 2.5 million blogs had been written, 189 million tweets had been sent, 2.5 billion Google searches had happened by that moment, at that time, by that day. There are 906 million million undernourished people in the world right now. 20,000 people had died of hunger by the time I pressed stop that day. 1.4 million people will die this year from water-related illness. 807 million people have no safe drinking water right now around the globe. 6.5 million people this year will die of cancer. 6 million children under 5 will die this year. There will be over 800,000 suicides globally this year. By that point on that day so far and coming, over 33 million abortions, death in the womb have happened globally. By that moment of the human family, when I press stop, $318 billion has already been spent on illegal drugs globally. By that point that day when I press stop, everyone ready? 8 billion cigarettes had already been smoked that day. Billions of people 
cultures, families, languages, beautiful things, wonderful food, wonderful dances, exotic things, but also different understandings, economics, political, social, religious barriers, beyond what any one of us could comprehend or think. And here's the truth. Toronto is a microcosm of the whole deal. We have all this in our city, in our families, and in our life. Like I said last week, 140 languages and dialects are spoken in our city. 30% of Toronto residences, residents speak another language at home other than English or French. Uh, 20% of all immigrants in Canada live in our city, and 30% of all recent immigrants show up here at least once. Half the city's population has lived here less than 15 years. One out of two, or one out of five people in our city, maybe two out of five, worship another god than we do, or don't worship God at all. Like I said last week, one of the three Canadians over 15 have never attended any religious service in their life. Let me connect the dots for everyone right now. Take, take out your devices. Take out your pens and paper, because I'm going to literally summarize the whole series at this moment. Let me connect the dots on why I'm talking about this this morning. Ready? Why do you need to know what you believe if you're a Christian? Why do you need to see and understand and have confidence in and share the explicit gospel we've talked about? That's the gospel of Jesus. Why am I asking you and wrestling with you to seek God and ask for Jesus' lordship in your life, in your thinking, in every Christian in your family and in this church? Why am I asking you to believe and not doubt that the heart of God is to bring revival in our church because when he does it, Jesus is glorified? Why must we live in our region and not apart from it? Why must we give the gospel in our region? Why must we expect the miraculous? Why am I asking you to pray for a wave of godly sorrow to sweep this whole area so people know their need? Why am I asking you to pray for Acts 19 to happen in Durham and the GTA? Because, because if God really moves in you for real, if God moves in C4 for real, If God shows up in extraordinary ways in Durham or in Toronto, the world we just talked about will be touched in hours, minutes, and seconds. The nations are here. Our neighbors, our friends, all the nations that we are called to reach are already here. Our technology gives us access unlike so many other countries. And let me say this. Let me speak to us as Canadians. Our passports give us access to almost every nation on earth. We can go to countries that Americans and even now the British and French cannot go. Our passports and us as a people, we are still loved and cherished as Canadians. I've been to 40 nations in my life so far. And I've been in places where Americans could not go and they were in trouble. So we literally put Canadian pins all over them to save their lives. We cannot underestimate the power of being Canadian and then understanding that we are Christian Canadians. We have the international trade language. We speak English here. And I'm going to offend all my American, British, South African, and Australian friends, so I'm sorry. Our accent is easier than yours. (laughs) It is. I love all of you. My my uncle's in Australia. probably yelling at the computer. No, but all joking aside, if we're talking about tearing down barriers, our accent genuinely may sound a little dopey, but it's easier. It's understandable. Do you know that Time Magazine just said that we're probably one of the most, if not the most educated nation on earth? 
Over 52% of our population has post-secondary degree education. We are loved. We are accepted. Doors are open for us. Canada, hear this, hear my heart. Canada is uniquely positioned to touch the world and access the world and change the world. Canada could be the greatest vehicle for God's move in the 21st century. My pleading with you, my wrestling with you and myself is that God would not just show up to make me more like him or you more like him or to see him change this church or even our region. If God would move here, the world would be different, different, different for the kingdom and forever. I got an email this week from a fellow pastor. He was here when I had preached on lordship. And this is his email. He says, I wonder what's holding back this move of God in your church. He says, maybe it's the lordship you're preaching on at C4. And then he says these words, listen closely, please. C4, he says, is more alive and more expectant and committed than many other churches I know. But they're not close. This is his observation. But they're not close. They're not really ready to pay the real price for revival. He says, it's my humble evaluation. He says later in his email, I would fast and I would come and I would pray with any of you for that. Because when God shows up at C4, the ripple effects would literally be worldwide, not just Durham-wide. And then he says, oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. Why does an outsider have to tell us this? Jesus said it best in Acts 1.8. It's the commission given to every one of us as Christians. But you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let me translate. Jerusalem is your family and you. Your neighborhood in our region is Samaria and Judea. And the world is the world. It hasn't changed. What do we believe God is doing? What do we believe God is going to do through you and through us to touch the world through the power of his Holy Spirit? What do we believe God is going to do through us to influence the world? Not because we're good, not because we're organized, not because we're special, just because we're called. How will we as a church and as individuals and as Canadians steward our unique position for God and his kingdom? Because let me tell you, on Judgment Day, when Jesus talks to us, he is going to ask us how he stewarded living in one of the best nations of this time. As I reflected and prayed, there was one passage that came to me so very quickly. Acts 8. It's a pitiful, pivotal moment in the book of Acts, if you know it. The first Christians have been tortured and murdered for loving Jesus. The church, almost like a dandelion, you know, that turns white, has now started to spread because of the persecution. And as they're running for their lives at points or hiding, they keep speaking out, they keep healing, they keep preaching, people are deliverance. And amazingly, in Samaria, the place where Jews hated, uh, 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 an awakening takes place. In the middle of these grand moves of God, suddenly we're stopped in this part of the story. It takes on a singular focus. God is about to do another new thing. The church at this moment in history is only made up of Jews and half-Jews named Samaritans that held that Jesus was the Messiah. But what about the rest of the world? What did God want to do with all of the non-Jews everywhere? At this moment, the church hadn't really struggled to clarify its attitude towards the known world, but God, who always is a step ahead of everyone, including the church, thank God he is, starts another new chapter. This passage, my friends, gives us what we need to see 
and what we believe God is going to do through us globally. Acts 8.26, so hear the word of God. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. God, notice this, he starts this. It's not a campaign, it's not a, no, no, God. In the beginning, God. Heaven walks in. God sends one of his angels and gives a very specific task to Philip. And when he obeys this task, it not only will change the region and also the globe at that moment, it still is having impact 2,000 years later today. I'll talk about that. Philip, if you don't know him, was one of the seven deacons that was called in to deal with a serving crisis with widows in chapter 6. There were some racism issues going on in the church between Hebraic Jews and Greek Jews. So there you go. Nothing new under the sun for the church. People are arguing, and he's called in to help out. The attack on the church drives him to Samaria. And he is used powerfully by Jesus to do miracles and healings and, and deliverances. And he proclaims the story of Jesus and the message of hope. And many say yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior. So in the middle of this grand awakening, God shows up to Philip and says, Philip, I want you to go south to a desert road, the desert road. Now this is a real road, by the way. It's between Gaza and Jerusalem, and it's right on the Mediterranean coast. But here's the key thing we've all got to get this morning. The word south is better translated noonday. So this command is unbelievably unusual. This is key for all of us today, by the way. He says, Philip, I want you to go out out to the desert road in desert-like conditions at the worst part of the day under the harsh noonday sun and you notice he doesn't tell him why so just wait philip obeys watch this philip leaves a thriving ministry in samaria to the wilderness of the judean foothills now the samaritans who jews hated so much and vice versa have now been included in god's family generations of hate distrust and violence and wrong religious understanding have been overcome by the message and the power and the presence of the living jesus big crowds big miracles big things and then god says thanks philip you're done now blessings upon you and your house time to go I want you to go small for a moment because I'm about to do big again. He started out and on his way, it says he met an Ethiopian eunuch, verse 27. An important official in, the, in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So we find out this man is Ethiopian. Now he comes from a nation that no longer exists. It's called the Kingdom of Moreau. Today it's modern Sudan. We actually saw a video on that today. And southern Egypt. Not only was he not Jewish, but we know that he's a man of power. He is the official treasure of this kingdom. Why is this significant? At this time in ancient history, there are three things going on in this kingdom. Number one, they're a massive, massive supplier of gold. Number two, they've got, they've got iron out their yin-yang. And number three, guess what? They are the bridge between Africa and the Roman world. This is a big deal. Lots of money. And this man is in charge of all the money of this whole nation. And then we find out he's a eunuch, and every guy wants to grab himself. <laughs> Ladies, you just don't understand. <laughs> if you don't know what a eunuch is, yes, online someone just did. That's okay. A eunuch is someone, a guy who's castrated. Now, we need to ask ourselves the question, why? Uh, why? <laughs> why? Well, it had to do with government. Men had access to the royal line, and if you wanted to serve uh, the queen or others, 
They were very, very concerned that there could have an affair and a sexual assault, and if the royal line got contaminated by one act or the other, it could lead to a child that would produce an, an heir that's not really the heir, civil war, like it goes on. And so every single person that would serve the queen who was a male had to be castrated or had access. I wonder how that would change our MPs or MPPs in Canada. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. That's a different topic. Okay. So this man worked for the women, for this woman who had the title Candace, Queen of the Ethiopians. He had given up a lot to serve her. Her full historical title, by the way, is Queen Mother, Ruling Monarch of the Ethiopians. Now, she actually ran the state. I found this out when I first researched this in 2007. She ran the whole country. Her husband, who was the king, was considered a god of the sun or a, a child of the sun god. And so he was too sacred to do anything. So she did. See, ladies, nothing's changed. The guy's on the couch. You're running the world. It's, you know, he's eating because he's a sun god. Okay. Right. But he is sacred and he is this religious figure and she runs the whole deal. Literally. She is the power broker and this man runs all of her money. It says that this man has gone to Jerusalem to worship. This well-educated and pious figure shows up to worship, even though he's part of a pagan system and he serves a king that claims to be a god himself. When he would arrive to Jerusalem, to his dismay at points, he would be told that he would never enter into God's community fully. This man was a true seeker trying to connect to the true living God, but he would only be allowed into a point. Now why? Two reasons. He's not Jewish, and actually because he's a eunuch. Traditional Jewish law, according to Deuteronomy 23, says that eunuchs will never, ever be part of God's full people or covenant people, and they were outside of that salvation. He was a God-fearer, a non-Jewish person who did believe in one true living God, but could not access him. We should not be shocked that our God is going to introduce himself to a eunuch that's been banned from full worship. Do you remember when Jesus lost it in the temple? When Jesus was in the temple and he walks in and he sees all these money changers, do you remember the story? He makes a whip, he starts throwing tables, everyone freaks out. Now most of the reason people preach why that happened is because people were being ripped off and they were trying to worship. That's only half true. The real reason why Jesus got so angry is because they actually set up the market in the court of the Gentiles. They said the rest of the world doesn't matter. We've got God and we don't care that you don't. So they set up the court in the Gentiles, the court of Gentiles. They set this whole thing up so if people even came to worship like this guy, they couldn't even kneel and worship because it's now a market. What did Jesus say? It has been written, he said to them in Matthew, my house will be called a house of what? Selling no prayer. But you've made it a den of robbers. See, God's heart, his promise, his welcome was always to include all people. Here's the promise from Isaiah 56. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Notice it. And let no eunuch ever complain, I'm only a dry tree. Verse 7. These people I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in what? Say it. My house of prayer. Jesus is angry, not only because people are ripping off people in God's name, but because the nations don't have access to his Father anymore. And why has Jesus come? For God so loved what? The world. God has promised that Jews and non-Jews will have a relationship with God, and it happens exclusively through Jesus. And even eunuchs who are considered impure can now be included into God's family. 
This is why Jesus came. It is amazing to me, I love my boss for this, that God's decision, his first contact with the non-Jewish world in the book of Acts is an African eunuch. On his way home, verse 28, he's sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot, it's like an ox cart, and stay near it. God speaks very directly again, Philip obeys, and it's no accident that this man is reading a passage about Jesus. I just want to remind you of the power of the gospel as we keep going. We miss the grand heart change that's already happened. What would make a Greek Jew love a black African? What could overcome suspicion, culture, different worldviews, race? It's Jesus, everyone. Within eight chapters in the book of Acts, Hebraic Jews, Greek Jews, Samaritans, and now Africans are all going to be included into a new family called the body of Christ. This is the agenda of God. What worldview do you know? What worldview provides peace and forgiveness, overcomes racism, overcomes wrong view of religion? What gives love like this? What even so changes someone that when they're being beat up for Jesus, they say, I forgive you? Jesus. Jesus. Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading out of Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Love that. See, Luke, time and time again, if you read Luke and Acts carefully, always points out the difference between knowing and knowing. You can read something but not get it. This is the foundation of our series. This is the transition between I know about someone and I actually know him. Philip shows up with this man of great power and asks him, do you know God in his mercy, catch this, has not only given this man his written word, but now actually sends one specific person to meet this man so he can actually worship the God from afar now into a close, intimate encounter. This man is the first of millions of us who are non-Jews to meet the one we're made to walk with. This guy is many of our spiritual fathers. Have you ever thought about that? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me, so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I love his honest response. No, I don't know. But maybe, maybe this stranger could actually give the answers I've been looking for for so long. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb before shears is silent. He did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. He's reading from a passage called Isaiah 53. This is one of the most, if not the most important passage about Jesus in the whole Old Testament. And it is saying that the one who would come, who is Messiah, would be innocent. He would righteously suffer. He would become the place where he deals with the world's sin. And he would also become the substitute where God's deserved wrath was placed on him and not the world. Read the next two lines, the next two verses in Isaiah 53. I tell you that Stephen read these to this Ethiopian eunuch. He was assigned to a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he'd done no violence, nor any deceit was in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And through the Lord makes his life a guilt offering. And he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It's the Lord's will to crush him. Back to week one. We really are under the deserved wrath of God and we're in serious trouble. Yet Jesus willingly decides to become the place where God's crushing happens. Jesus' is best friend. Love this verse, 1 John 4.10. This is love. Not we, that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the wrath-absorbing propitiation for our sins. The eunuch asked Philip, back to verse 34, 
Tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage and told him the good news about Jesus. The New Testament didn't exist yet, everybody. Not one word of the New Testament was written probably by this point. And yet, look at this. Philip knows that Jesus is the righteous sufferer. He's the one who was falsely accused, deprived of justice. He was crucified. He's been risen. He's brought victory over sin and death and Satan. And now through repentance and trust, the forgiveness of sins is found in Jesus' name. What good news. And he sits with this man of wealth and intellect and power and says, let me tell you how much God loves you. The eunuch's response is, as they traveled along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? The response of this man was, I've given my life to Jesus. Let's do this. Do you notice? No baptism class, no waiting period to see how spiritual he was. He didn't wait, you know, to learn every spiritual discipline. He said, yes, okay, let's do this. See, that's what baptism is in the New Testament. It's the wedding ring. I'm saying yes to the marriage. I want to publicly say it now. Verse 37, look in your Bibles. Do you see it? Oh, it's not there. Verse 36, verse 38. Verse 36, verse 38. Where did verse 37 go? Well, there's a big debate about that. Most people believe it was inserted in later. Others believe it wasn't. Here's what it reads if you don't have it. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Well, whether it's right or wrong, it's true, right? So, the man crosses the line of faith. It says in verse 38, they gave the orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water, and Philip baptized him. That public declaration. And then when he came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Do you know what this passage says? That Philip disappeared. You thought that Star Trek invented teleporting. You're wrong. Sorry, Captain Kirk. There's no engage here. Seriously, this is what this implies, that Philip literally baptizes this man, they embrace, and he's gone. He did not see him again, but he went away rejoicing. Luke shows us time and time and time again that God is no respecter of persons. The obstacles of age, race, religious tradition, ethnic origin, economic or educational status, or physical condition will never bar someone from the family of God found in and through Jesus. This demonstration of inclusiveness through the good news is expressed now through Acts 1-8 through Philip. Catch it. Philip was saved in Jerusalem. He helped establish the church in Samaria. Then God told him to go back to Judea, and he does, and he meets an Ethiopian. He leads the Ethiopian to Christ, and he goes to the ends of the earth. Philip does Acts 1-8 all in his life. What happened to the Ethiopian? Well, it doesn't talk about it in Scripture, but church tradition sure fills in the blanks. If you go to Ethiopia today, and you hang out with Coptic Christians or even Evangelical Christians, almost all of them will trace their roots back to an Ethiopian eunuch who helped come and started talking about Jesus in the court of Candace. There are churches 2,000 years later who trace their conversion experiences back to Philip's obedience. When he decided to say yes to Jesus without reservation, 
Philip was changed, the world was changed, Ethiopia was changed, and Ethiopia still today is being changed because of this man's obedience and this other man's conversion. Do you understand the power of what is going on here? The region changes one person at a time, but guess what? So does the world. God is calling us as a church to have global influence. Oh God, pull us over, put your lights on, and show us how blind we are sometimes to what you're trying to do. Let me end where I started. Let me connect the dots again. Why do you need to know what you believe? Because you're going to be called to share it. Why do you need to understand and accept and have, here's the word, confidence in the explicit gospel of Jesus? Because if you don't, there's no power. Why must you seek God and ask for Jesus' lordship in your life, in every Christian, in your family, and in this church? Because if you don't like the lordship of Jesus, you'll miss that he's trying to send you to people, and you will put yourself in your comfort in front of what God is trying to do. Lordship has to overcome our barriers of fear and racism and everything else that gets in the way of what God is trying to do. Why must we live in this region Why must we pray for the miraculous? Why must we pray for godly sorrow to sweep Durham so people even know their need? Why are we praying for Acts 19? Because if God really moved in our church, in our life, in our region, the world that we're living in would be touched in hours and minutes and seconds. The eunuchs, my friend, are here. Every one of us was a eunuch spiritually before we met Jesus. And the eunuchs are all around us. Our family, our neighbors, our region, the GTA. In seconds, we can virtually touch the world now through the web, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, podcasts. Don't you understand why we're investing in this so heavily in this church? You think it's to be cool and young? This is how evangelism happens in the 21st century. This is Billy Graham for today. When you post one video and one person shares it, it can go global. We have no clue what God can do with technology. It's only a vehicle, but it's a vehicle worth fighting for because God wants to touch the world and we have the privilege to touch it. God is calling people to himself because God is a calling God. God is calling us to trust him. God is calling his people to move again into a new thing. So in this time, in this generation, in this season, we will fulfill the mandate of God. What we did in the past was good for that time. And oh, let me tell you, you who have been faithful before me and others, God will say to you, well done, you faithful servant on judgment day, and will commend you for what you did then. But now is the time we must rally again to see God move again in our time. Here's the heart of this. God is asking us as a church to go south, not to Florida. It's not in the budget to go to Mexico, but to go south, not west, south. See, God is asking us as a church to go to a place that makes no sense to many of us. Go out in the worst part of the day, in desert-like conditions, under the harsh noonday sun, and wait. And what? Just wait. The Holy Spirit is calling our church at this season to embrace the explicit gospel, is calling us to pray and cry out for God's unique move in this local church and in this area. We're crying out for revival where lordship and the Jesus' lordship is welcomed and wanted in every Christian, a season of holiness and power for a reason. We believe that God is calling us to be part of a regional awakening in Durham and beyond. And yes, God is calling us 
globally and one person at a time to have influence to see the kingdom expand around the world. But we need faith. God needs to pull us over and remind us it's not about our comfort or us. It is about what he's trying to accomplish. God, here it is. You want the tagline? Here it is. God is calling C4 Church to a place we have never been before. Let me say this again. God is calling C4 Church to a place we've never been before in 28 years of history. All the people who sacrificed to get us here, praise God they did it. But now at this moment, God is calling us to a season we've never... Has anyone experienced a corporate revival here? No. Have we seen the lordship of Jesus spread across our church? No. Have we ever seen a regional awakening in Durham? No. Have we ever understood what it means to be global in our technology and also in our witness through relationships and through other... No. We've never been here before. Of course we're afraid. Of course we're struggling. Of course we're trying to understand this. But I'm telling you, my friends, like Philip, the Spirit of God is showing up here and saying, Oh, church. Oh, church. Go south because when you get there, watch me work. We just need, as a community as we try to work out the details, to come to the place where we just say in our heart, yes. Yes. Let me allay some of your fears. I want to remind you that God is always preparing a way when he calls us. God is already working on people in situations before we ever show up. I mean, think about the Ethiopian eunuch. Before he even showed up, this man was already trying to worship, reading a Bible, and longing for more. Philip was the last in a long chain of events, which was, was nothing more than really a divine conspiracy. See, I need to say, friends, when we talk about our future, when we talk about what we're praying for, as we go before God in faith to ask for these things in ourselves, in our family, in our region, in our world, let me say to you, God has already gone ahead of us. Do not fear. He's got things worked out we don't even understand. No, I need an amen. No, really. Not just, a, mm, like, seriously. God's got this worked out. God is already preparing the hearts of, of Durham in a way you don't even believe is happening, maybe. God is preparing your neighbor and your friend and your uncle who's a militant whatever, atheist, agnostic. God is preparing our, our friends around us at this moment who belong to other faiths. God is preparing Toronto because, oh, by the way, Toronto isn't in charge. God's in charge. We need to be partnering with Jesus, praying with Jesus, preparing ourselves for what is coming. God is always preparing a place for his move. We just need to be obedient and say, I trust you, yes. God calls us church south. He calls us and reminds us he's preparing the way. Here's the last thing. Nikki, you can come up with the team, but I'll just end with this. I say this in the middle as we talk about what we believe and what we preach and what we're believing in our church and what we're praying for in our region and, and the great position we and other churches in Toronto have been given, God gives us his spirit, everyone. We're not going to do this by our own money or power. The Holy Spirit is in this place. The Holy Spirit is in you and in me. The same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that said to Philip, go, is in you. This church will not accomplish anything God wants without the Holy Spirit. I hope and I beg that you in your devotional times are praying, oh Holy Spirit, lighten, come upon this whole church. Holy Spirit, do anything you must. We need your power to see what you're going to do. 
Amen. We are here at a point where we have a privilege to have global influence, regional influence, personal influence, and family influence. All I ask you, along with me, is to say, oh Jesus, Jesus, as we do this and as we make mistakes and we try to understand what it looks like, I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm willing. Will you join me in prayer for this, if you can? O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, found through Jesus himself, revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, our prayer as a church is first of all to say out loud that you are God and we are not, is to say out loud that we want your agenda and not ours, and we are willingly saying to you, Jesus, help us do this right. So we pray that it would be unbelievably clear in this church what we actually believe and who you are. We pray that the explicit gospel would take root in every heart in this church and we would not tamper with it, but we would believe and trust in what you've said about the gospel. We pray right now in faith, without doubt, because we know it is your desire for the Lordship of Jesus to have full control. I pray this for myself, my wife, my kids. I pray this for every person who's a Christian in this church. And I pray this across our whole community. We welcome the Lordship of Jesus no matter the cost. We pray, along with other churches in this area, that there would be a regional awakening where literally thousands of people would embrace Jesus. And God, I need to say, like, right as I prayed it before, like I, Elijah, unless fire and rain comes from heaven, this is not happening. So we ask, O oh Lord. And lastly, I pray that you would help us steward and understand what it means to be a global church. And thank you, God, it's not just us. Thank you, there are millions of other churches doing this along with us. God the Father, may your will be done. God the Son, may your will be done. God the Holy Spirit, may your will be done on earth as you have ordained it in heaven. And all of God's people said. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to know more about C4, get connected to the life of the church, or give to the ministry, visit our website at www.c4church.com. 